All right. Welcome, everybody. This is the first of hopefully many weekly sports podcasts here. My name is Brandon Hubbard, and I will be covering UConn sports, basketball and football mostly because those are my comfort areas, but we'll also be branching into other sports headlines as well. Really excited to get this podcast going. We're going to start this first show with one of the most interesting UConn headlines in the past few weeks. It's that uh, Andre Drummond has enrolled at the University of Connecticut to be a part of the men's basketball team. This is an interesting development because UConn didn't have a scholarship for him, and from what we can tell, he was going to prep school, and it was a spur-of-the-moment decision to come to UConn. Jim Calhoun works his magic again, but the problem was someone on the team had to give up a scholarship in order for that to work out. That player turned out to be Michael Bradley. He's going to work with financial aid and try and work it out so he can stay as well, and it looks like he's done that now. But for UConn, not only do they get an athletic top-of-the-class type of player in Andre Drummond. What it does is it completes a front court that will be one of the most ferocious in the country. Alex Oriaki, everyone knows, is more of a defensive rebounder type of player. His offense hasn't been there in the past few years. Hopefully that can change as we move into this year because we'll need him to do more and more because he'll be the leader on that that team on the floor. But what it also does is it frees up the likes of Shabazz Napier and Jeremy Lamb to take a little bit off of what they thought they might have to do coming into this year. UConn moves from a mid-level Big East team to the top of the pile in terms of preseason rankings. They were at what they were last year, 7-8-9. They're going to be good, but they're not going to be top tier. And now all of a sudden with this addition of Andre Drummond, they're already talking about preseason top four, top five. Where do you put them ahead of Syracuse? Where do you put them behind the likes of Ohio State, Kentucky, North Carolina, that kind of thing? So it's really a huge deal that Andre Drummond came to UConn. What we'll have to see going into this year is how Calhoun plays Drummond and that front court appropriately. How does he move Drummond into the mix without interfering with the lineup that he had set from last year with Olander, Roscoe Smith, Jeremy Lamb, Shabazz, Oriaki. You've got Niels Giffey coming back. You've got Michael Bradley, who looked like a great player last year. He wasn't able to play at all, but it looked like he was going to be a great addition to the front court. He's very long. He's 6'10". So we'll see how all of those pieces come together. Then you talk about players like Enosh Wolf, who didn't get a lot of playing time last year. You got to figure that he was expecting more playing time. And with Andre Drummond coming into the mix, all of the players in the front court who thought they were going to see some playing time are going to end up sitting the pine just like they did last year. So we'll see how Calhoun works that out. I trust he'll be able to do a great job, just like he always does with the lineups, putting his best players in there. I don't know that I ever agreed with starting Tyler Olander, but he was only in there for a couple minutes each time, and every time he did a great job, at, at least in the tournament. Let's, let's get that straight. During the season, it was always a heartbreak when he was in the game because he doesn't rebound well at times. He's not a consistent scorer. But when tournament time came around, just like the rest of the Huskies team, there was an immediate improvement in his effort level, in his output. He had a couple great shots in the NCAA tournament, and I'm never going to fault him for that because he was working hard, and he was fighting for those minutes, and even though they were few and far between, he was making the most of them, and I'm sure that's why Calhoun had him in the starting lineup. Personally, I wouldn't have had him in there, but, you know, I haven't won three national championships, so no one would ask me. What this does for UConn's team is immediate. Uh, you get an, a, a very athletic, can run up and down the floor center type of guy who is also good at offense. We had the beat in the past, and he took us all the way to a Final Four. I'm not knocking him at all. 
The only problem with his game was the offense. No one doubted that he could block. He was a great rebounder. His scoring was what really put him at the bottom of the pile in terms of options on the offensive end for the UConn basketball team that year. And so as soon as Drummond gets here, we have a strong defense, defensive core at least, coming back. And they're all very lanky. You've got Lamb, Roscoe, Giffey, all with very long arms on the perimeter. And then if a team chooses to go on the inside, which honestly no one should ever do against this team, you've got Oriaki and Drummond just waiting in the paint to do something ridiculous. And until UConn comes up against a team with a front court as talented and as athletic as their own, which won't be until, say, the Final Four in the postseason. I, You know, in the Big East, there's always teams that have that kind of caliber of players. But until the postseason... UConn won't have to face a team that is athletic and as long and as gifted as they are until late in the NCAA tournament. So this stands to be a tremendous addition for UConn on the inside, but also it relieves some of the pressure on the outside. So some great stuff happening there for UConn. The other thing coming across the wire recently for the UConn men's basketball team is the release of their schedule, which I have to say I'm a little disappointed with. It's not as high caliber as it could be. The biggest non-conference matchup is Tennessee, which isn't a bad game. It's just not going to be the same as it was in years past with the whole Bruce Pearl thing. And they have they have so much going on in terms of bad sanctions with the NCAA and bad blood with their ex-coach. We'll see how that all works out. But right now, it doesn't stand... I mean, UConn potentially can play Harvard twice, Coppin State, Maine, Wagner, College of Charleston. The Battle Four of Atlantis will be a fun tournament to watch, but there's no real high-quality teams in it aside from UConn and possibly UMass. UMass could be a good team, and Harvard won't be a bad team potentially could win the Ivy League, but winning the Ivy League doesn't really, I don't know, it doesn't stand out in my mind. And then you've got Arkansas in the Big East SEC Challenge, and I just, I, it's not that I don't want UConn to be a part of that, it's that if we're going to be in the SEC Big East Challenge, we should play a team like Kentucky or Florida, and you know, it gives the fans something to look forward to, and it also helps fans gauge the talent level of the team in terms of competing against one of the best teams in the nation. You know, when you play a team like Arkansas versus a team like Kentucky, you just don't get the same out of it. It's like when UConn plays Vanderbilt this week in football, which isn't bad in football because UConn's not as good as the elite SEC programs, but in basketball, UConn is at least as successful as most of the SEC teams, and deserves to play a team of their caliber, in my opinion. So that was an oversight in terms of scheduling there. And it, it, I, I give them a lot of credit. It is very hard to schedule games that far in advance and know who's going to be good. But in terms of scheduling an SEC game, you know who's going to be a perennial powerhouse every year, and doing it this way just doesn't make sense to me. Of course, the big thing this year going into the season is that Calhoun will have to miss the first three Big East games that we play. So he will miss USF, St. John's, and Seton Hall, which doesn't sound terrible, except that St. John's will be a contender in the Big East this year. So not having Calhoun for that one may be a little bit of a disadvantage for the players. We'll see how that all works out. I don't think it should be that big a problem if Calhoun gets them ready in advance, which I'm sure he will because he's one of the best coaches in the country. And looking into that Big East schedule, you've got another roundup of great Big East games in Connecticut again this year, it's just the nature of the Big East that you will always have great marquee matchups in your home arena 
because there's so many great teams in the Big East that you have to play a lot of them at home. So looking at UConn's home Big East schedule, you've got St. John's, you got West Virginia, you got Cincinnati. Cincinnati, a much improved team, so don't overlook that one either. Notre Dame, Seton Hall, Syracuse. It's just, I, Marquette, it's amazing. It makes me so happy that this kind of thing happens. And then to end the regular season and to end the Big East season, UConn plays Pittsburgh at Gamble Pavilion. I want to be there for that game. It's going to be amazing. This should be another phenomenal year for UConn. The biggest thing in their way is that all the other teams in the country are better as well. So while this team may be more athletically gifted and more experienced all the way around than it was last year, so is everyone else in the country. So it'll be very interesting to see how that all works out when it comes down to time for college basketball. And you know we're all looking forward for that. But, you know, it's football season, so let's look at football. I I love UConn football. I love what they're doing. I think they're moving in the right direction. I think it's hard as a fan to watch this kind of QB drama that's going on because it's really hard for us to get an idea of what to think of the team when three different quarterbacks play and against a team like Fordham who isn't as athletically talented and as well coached and all of those things it's hard to really get an idea of who did what best if you're gonna take something away from this game take away that the defense gave up only 20 yards rushing which is insane the problem is when you take that into account the pass defense was a little bit insufficient uh they gave up not a lot of passing yards just enough to make me nervous when you play a high caliber opponent especially an opponent like say Oklahoma like we did in the BCS game and although we had two interceptions in that game it just it stands to reason that against a team with a great passing attack like Cincinnati in the Big East it's going to be a lot harder to defend than against Fordham so that's the one thing defensively that I would look at going into this week's matchup with Vanderbilt their QBs had a lot of success last week against Elon again an opponent like Fordham that doesn't have the same resources as a D1 program but their quarterbacks did a great job of managing the game in that situation and so going into this week against UConn's defense you hope that the secondary can step up and take advantage of some of the mistakes that Vanderbilt has made and they make a lot of mistakes in the past they made a lot of mistakes they went two and ten last year a lot of that had to do with turnovers so we'll see how that works out the biggest thing offensively to look forward to for UConn is who starts at running back we know there's not going to be a starting QB that's already been named so who starts at running back Lyle McCombs has four touchdowns last week just a phenomenal performance from him especially considering that he didn't know he was going to be the starter so now if you're coach Pascaloni do you start Lyle again Or do you go to your USC transfer and DJ Shoemate, who was your starter coming into this year? Everyone knew he was the top guy, and then Lyle comes in in the opener and does just amazing things. Nobody expected that. Nobody knew he was even going to play. And so do you go with him and let the offensive line do the work, bruising, and just let him get to the outside and do what he did against Fordham? Or do you put in DJ Shoemate, who had fumbling issues last year, but who Coach P has said has improved a lot over the offseason. So it'll be interesting to see in that dynamic who starts. Offensively, the improvement that needs to be made has been the improvement that needs to be made since UConn started playing D1 football. The passing attack is just not there. It's It's hard to really fault any one person, but with three quarterbacks, I think that without having a starting quarterback, 
you don't give the wide receivers enough reps with the guy who's going to be their quarterback in a game. And by playing three quarterbacks, you're taking away reps from the guy who will eventually be the starter with the wide receivers so they can't get in a rhythm. It was clear against Fordham. There was a lot of mistakes being made. No one was overly accurate for sure. And I'm just not sure any of them really proved themselves to be, you know, the guy. And I don't know how that plays out, but I think... In the long term, not having made a quarterback decision by now will hurt the team. And I still think they'll have a great year. I think they'll do amazing things. I think, again, they'll have the best record they've ever had finishing a season at 10-3. and I think they win nine games in the regular season and then win their bowl game because with a 9-3 and record, a Big East team doesn't go to a marquee bowl matchup. And so we'll end up playing a Buffalo again or something like that. And the Big East will inflate their bowl record because they play terrible teams outside of the BCS. But I am looking forward to this team proving everyone wrong. I think that the potential is there to win 10 games. And I'm not saying that because I'm a fan. I really just think that UConn has some advantages that other teams don't have with their offense and defense combination. And I I could be wrong, and we'll see how that plays out going on. But I think they're a 10-win team this year. And it starts with the weak teams on the schedule like Fordham and now Vanderbilt where you're talking about teams that in the first five games UConn does not play a team that had a winning record last year in the regular season and in that situation UConn as a BCS program a team that made the BCS last year has to win all of those games and I think they will I have full confidence in that but they have to win all five of those games in order to prove themselves as being a contender in the Big East which they are they are a contender in this Big East I think when you look around the league last week everyone did exactly what they were supposed to do they were supposed to win Syracuse beating Wake Forest in overtime that game should have been lost they had nothing going for the whole three quarters and then in the fourth quarter just exploded offensively Rutgers took care of their D2 Cincinnati Louisville you know Connecticut all did what they were supposed to do West Virginia beats Marshall of course that's supposed to happen and so these These teams are doing what they're supposed to. The the biggest surprise, of course, is USF beating Notre Dame. But Notre Dame shot themselves in the foot, and then the leg, and then the heart, and then in the face. I mean, it was a disgrace. Notre Dame looked confused. They looked sad. They drive all the way to the end zone and then throw an interception. I mean, it was awful. USF had no business winning that game. Congrats to them. It's a great win. UConn did the same thing a few years ago, beating a down Notre Dame team, which I think this is. And I think people are getting excited about Notre Dame again. And I think Brian Kelly ends up losing his job over it. But I just don't think Notre Dame is that good this year. And if they make a BCS game at 10-2, and I will be horrified because I don't think they're good enough to compete with any of the major programs in the country. And so when you look at the Big East and you look at the team's Everybody, aside from a couple teams, really did what they were supposed to do and nothing more, except a couple teams like Pittsburgh and Louisville, who really kind of struggled in their opening game. But against a team like Buffalo and Murray State, you can struggle a little bit and walk away with the win. That's why teams schedule these early season matchups to work out the kinks a little bit, which is what I thought UConn would do with Fordham. But apparently we still want to have three starting quarterbacks going into the game against Vanderbilt. So when you look at all of those things, UConn is a contender because they'll start the Big East schedule 5-0. and 
And that puts them a leg up over everyone because UConn doesn't play a team like LSU, which West Virginia does. And I don't know if that's good or bad in terms of PR for the Big East Conference, but at this point it really doesn't matter when you talk about PR because the Big East is here to stay because we added TCU. And no one is going to take away the BCS bid from us with TCU yet. So we've got that with us. Plus with the Big 12 kind of situation, we may end up getting to keep ours just by default if that conference disappears appears so some interesting things to look at but you talk about UConn's schedule you talk about what they can do you've got Vanderbilt Iowa State Buffalo and Western Michigan are the four games before the Big E schedule that are left Vanderbilt they should win they should win it's at Vanderbilt but they should win this game if this team is as good as Coach P seems to think it is they should beat Vanderbilt it should happen it needs to happen and then Iowa State Buffalo are pushover teams Iowa State in the Big 12 but have not had any real success in football lately and they had a real rough rough year last year so we'll see how that works out it's a friday night game so the fans should be having fun but i don't think that really works out for them and then western michigan is the only one on there that i see that could pose a problem they played pretty well against michigan and michigan isn't great but i'm not sure that that doesn't get better and they aren't a threat to us going five and oh but really realistically they should win all five of these games and then you head into the big east opener against west virginia and then you have south florida and then you have pittsburgh So because those three are back to back to back, you know, those are the three that I see as potentially being losses. And that's a big deal because if they lose all three of those in a row, it's very hard to bounce back from that. But the week end of the Big East is at the end of our schedule. And so potentially UConn goes into the final four games at five and three. And then you have Syracuse, Louisville and Rutgers all at home. And then you play Cincinnati on the road. So Syracuse, Louisville, Rutgers. Rutgers, the worst team in the Big East by far. Louisville struggled offensively. It's a it's a Big East thing to struggle offensively. So I'm not going to take a lot away from that. But certainly the bottom half of the Big East is the back end of our schedule. And so if UConn does what, it's, what it needs to in the first five games, going into the Big East schedule, they've got a bright, bright future at going 9-3. and three. And I, I think that's something really to look forward to. And I'm excited about it. I'm excited about this season. And I hope that everyone else is too, because this team has been under the radar a little bit considering that they went to a BCS game last year. And I know a lot has happened since then. We lost a coach. We lost a, a couple great players. But I just think that having coach Pascaloni come in in January in the same month that Randy Etzel left I think that that quick turnaround really helps the UConn team and I think that the leadership on this team is phenomenal I think you've got offensive linemen who can really get the job done you've got quarterbacks at least hopefully you've got quarterbacks who can limit their mistakes and really just create off of play action because the running game has been the focus at UConn for so long that I think establishing that running game early and getting the pressure off your quarterback is the key for these quarterbacks. I think all of them are accurate enough to play. I think they're all very good. And I just think that with this team, there's a potential to improve on what was there last year and do some of the same things. I don't think they'll make a BCS game again this year. I think either West Virginia or South Florida takes that away from us. But I think potentially UConn could end up being co-Big East champions again at 9-3 and three and going to the second-tier bowl, which is a huge thing for them considering how low the expectations were. So it's an exciting year for them. I think there's a lot of potential, and I think as a fan, you should look forward to the fact that this team has a chance to be as good or better as last year's team. It's just uh, it's an interesting thing to uh, to be rooting for your team and not knowing 
really what to expect from them going into week two. It's it's hard to to look at this team and know exactly what to expect going into week two, and I think that's exciting and nerve-wracking at the same time, which I guess can be a good thing. So as we as we look ahead to this weekend with uh, the UConn-Vanderbilt matchup, it's, uh, it's fun to look at other things that are going on in the world of college football. Biggest thing going on right now is the whole Big 12 shakeup that may not be shaking up. Uh, this whole Texas A&M is leaving, Baylor suing, maybe they won't leave. It's it's very interesting to me, and I wrote a blog post about it earlier in the week. It's 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 an opportunity to me for the Big East to be proactive because they did a great thing in adding TCU, no doubt about it. It'll hurt basketball, but the Big East basketball is as good as anyone in the country, so adding TCU doesn't really hurt us in the long run. But I think with the Big 12, there's an opportunity to do both. You get a football team that has some prestige and a basketball team that has a lot. If you can grab Kansas, Kansas State, Baylor even, if you can grab any of those teams, it just it adds to the prestige of football, which is the big concern right now to me. With everyone talking about 16-team conferences, which I would totally oppose, I think that's a terrible thing. I like that there's parity all over the all over the collegiate football world in terms of who you play when you play them scheduling out of conference games with a 16 team conference you will never play some of the teams in your conference it's i don't know it just it seems strange to me and i don't really like it i like the way it's set up right now but with everyone still being proactive about it i think it does the biggies good to expand the western half of their market go to 12 teams like the big 10 did and grab a team like Baylor, who's been in the news lately for having an up-and-coming football team, but whose basketball team potentially can compete for a national championship this year. If you can grab Baylor from the Big 12, even though they're fighting right now to stay in the Big 12, just hypothetically, if you can grab a team like Baylor, a team like Kansas, a team like Kansas State, a team like Missouri, who have had both football and basketball success in the recent past, I don't. I think it's an immediate improvement on the system that they have right now. I think TCU was a great step. I don't think it's good enough. The Big East still has nine members. So if you can go to 10, if you can go to 11, if you can go to 12, I think not only do you solidify yourself as a conference that is better than the ACC, and that's the ultimate goal. Because as long as the Big East can not be widely considered the worst conference in college football, there's hope that that BCS bid remains automatic. And it might turn out that if everyone goes to 16-team conferences, they'll eventually secede from the NCAA, take all of the profits for themselves, and create their own playoff system and just eliminate the need for the Big East. But in this era right now, be proactive in the things that you can be proactive in. If you can add Baylor, Kansas, and Missouri, that is the perfect trifecta to make the Big East 12 teams. And not only do you make your conference better, you make TCU happy by adding teams that are much closer to home, and then you can play the the western half of the Big East Conference in that side. So you move Louisville into that side of the conference, and then you have teams like UConn, Syracuse, those teams in the Northeast, they will play in their conference, play a couple out-of-conference games against South Florida, against Louisville, against Baylor, you know, TCU. But if you're proactive in this, the scheduling gets easier, the teams get better. The recruiting is much better. I just think this is an opportunity for the Big East. We'll see how it all ends up shaking out. 
when we look forward to this weekend's games in college football, there's some there's some good ones, not great ones. There's some good ones. The only game between ranked opponents this week is Penn State versus Alabama. It's in Happy Valley. It's at Beaver Stadium. So 110,000 people will get to watch this game at least. And uh, it's certainly the marquee matchup of the weekend. But there are a couple other games that should be informative in terms of how the rest of the season will shake out especially for the big east cincinnati plays tennessee Rutgers plays north carolina so we'll see how the bottom half of the big east can contend against some of the mid-tier teams from other conferences and then other games to look at notre dame versus michigan neither team really shined in their games michigan of course had trouble with western michigan but uh that offense is dynamic and should be good to go i just think notre dame is a better team right now I don't know that Michigan's defense is good enough to stop the Notre Dame offense if Brian Kelly can fix up some of the offensive errors that happened against USF. Because without turnovers, Notre Dame easily wins that game. And so I think USF's defense is better than Michigan's, and I just don't think Michigan can stop the Notre Dame offense enough times because i think notre dame's defense can get one or two stops where the michigan defense can't and so i think notre dame wins by a touchdown or so and then some other interesting matchups brigham young taking on texas nobody's really talking about texas this year and i don't know if they can live up to some of the standards they set in the past but i do think they're going to end up beating brigham young south carolina versus georgia sec matchup south carolina the early favorite after georgia kind of got smacked around by boise state which you know just for the sake of shaking up the bcs i'm very happy with and then mississippi state taking on auburn auburn after their unlikely survival this weekend needed uh 14 points in two minutes and they managed to do it with a crazy onside kick and mississippi state absolutely blowing out their opponents so Early test in the SEC there. I think Mississippi State's the better team. And then uh, we'll get to see a future UConn opponent playing Iowa this weekend, which I think will be a blowout. and will be very telling when it comes to what's going to happen later in the year when, when Iowa State comes to town to play the Huskies. So not a lot of great matchups this week just a couple interesting ones to keep an eye on especially if you're a UConn fan the Cincinnati and Rutgers games will be very telling in terms of where those teams are athletically as well as technically looking forward to those games against UConn so to wrap up this podcast you've got UConn winning on Saturday you've got some big news for UConn's basketball you got some great things coming up this weekend in NFL football and I look forward to talking with you about them next week on my weekly podcast thanks again for listening I'm Brandon Hubbard Have a good weekend.